price to pay. <coughs> Some put on a suit, but he ran the other way. His drums drowned out the others, and the ones who couldn't dream. This freedom music gave him was worth more than anything. Welcome to the Man on Second podcast as part of the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game productions. I'm Joe Frisaro with our producer, Dave D'Agostino, and our mission on the network, as always, is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience, and today we will do so by bringing in former big league pitcher A.J. Ramos. But before we get to A.J., let's bring in Dave for some announcements. Dave, how you doing, buddy? Oh, doing great. Doing great tonight. We've got a busy week this week. We've got six shows that we're doing, and everybody's firing all cylinders during Memorial Day week. So, But just to our, our audience, our faithful listeners, 18,300 subscribers to date. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. If you rate and review, we can battle the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in baseball. Uh, episode 194, so you guys have been great so far. Keep it rolling for us. If you do that, we can keep giving you great content every week like Joe does on his show with Man on Second. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Those are your streaming devices. If you got another one, let me know. I'd be more than happy to subscribe to it. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are very active with our Facebook audience. We get over 500 questions a day privately. I get back to everybody. We do answer one live each day, so keep a lookout for that. We are in 72 countries now, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. So we got the ear of the right people. All we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ and I always add a disclaimer at the end, and this is from our audience more than it is me, but they just want me to remind them and remind us that just prepare to embrace some of the uncomfortable truths that happen in baseball because this show, like all of our shows, has no, no time for some of the uncomfortable the comfortable lies, I should say, that are pushed out there. So we're going to hit you straight between the eyes with this show. And with that, Joe, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. And, you know, I've said this numerous times on this show and what I love about doing these podcasts and what I love about baseball and the baseball fraternity is it allows you to reconnect with with people that mean a lot to you in the game and and a chance to catch up with with, you know, former players and, you know, people I've had uh, good associations with throughout my professional career. And A.J. Ramos certainly falls into that category. A.J., of course, he broke in with the Miami Marlins back in 2012. He enjoyed a nine-year big league career, last appearing in 2021 with the Angels. Um, A.J. pitched, obviously, for Miami, the New York Mets, Colorado, and L.A. 2016, A.J. was an all-star reliever. Uh, that season, he saved 40 games for the Marlins. And without further ado, let's bring in A.J. Ramos. A.J., how you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be on, and I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, you know, I've been, you know, I kind of in the back of my head, A.J., I kind of say people that I want to talk to, reconnect with, who I think could be part of this show and really offer some good insights. And um, and you certainly fit the mold. And, you know, you had an amazing career, and I always enjoyed covering you, you know, basically from the time you were drafted until the time you were traded, you know, so that's the beauty of this. But let's catch people up. What have you been doing uh, in the last couple of years? Uh, well, so right after I retired, um, shortly after that, I had my first child and, and it was a daughter named Luna. So uh, it's my, you know, I'm a rookie dad right now. So I'm in my first year as a dad. And so that's been that's been keeping me the most busy. Um, just learning how to, to readjust from, cause it, it is an adjustment period from, you know, knowing exactly what you want to do, uh, for most of your life to 
accomplishing what it seems to be like a unaccomplishable goal. And then, you know, to, to doing that and then all of a sudden it being over. So the, the adjustment period, um, was a lot easier. I think, uh, jumping into something that is the most important thing in life is my kids or my kid. Uh, so I've been doing that. And also, um, I'm working on a project that I've created. Um, it's called the locker room. And what this is about is, you know, I've really focused, um, a lot of my, my career and my life, especially at the end of it on preparation and some of the most, uh, intriguing and best conversations that I've ever had in my life have been in the confines of a locker room. And a lot of those times I always wish like, man, I wish there was somebody recording this. I wish there was somebody, um, you know, filming this because what is being said here, I think a lot of people can relate. So the concept of it is I roll to an athlete's, uh, off season training we go through their workout. They tell me why they work out the way they do, because, you know, uh, everyone works out a different way based off of what, uh, how their body moves, what their sport is and what their position is in that sport. And there's so many specifics to it. Um, so we go through that. We talk to the trainers, why they train the way they train. And then we go through their skills training, which would be, so if I was interviewing someone that's in baseball, we go to their baseball, uh, training and we, uh, they take me to their drills. Why do they work on certain drills? If it's a pitcher, we go through grips. How do they, they set up their bullpens or routines and everything like that. And then the last part, we do a sit down interview and talk about what it's like to be a professional athlete. You know, what it's like to try to go for success. And not only when you get success, how do you maintain that success? You know, so it's a, it's something that I'm, uh, you know, excited about working on. And that's that's kind of what I've been up to. Wow, that's awesome, AJ. Who are you working with on that? Uh, as far as what, like, I think do you have a partner in that. Is there some uh, former player as well, or is it's it all? You know, is it kind of your? It's yeah. all been just me so far. Um, you okay. know, we're in the beginning stages of it. I filmed I filmed three people so far, um, and we're looking on. We're in the editing process, um, and. You know, this will be uh, we're going to put a couple episodes out and then, you know, we'll get more more uh, guests on. I, I would have started off with baseball, guys, because that's obviously where my expertise is. But it's during season right now. And you know how hard it is. I know how hard it is to do anything other than than focus on playing baseball. So um, right now we have with a football player, tennis. Uh, we have a former player that is now an entrepreneur. So we're, we're getting it. The main goal is is to talk to successful people and see how they attain their success and how they maintain it. I mean, because with success, there's so many failures and how do you get through those failures? How do you, how do you, uh, get through the bad days? How do you maintain the good days? You know, so just, uh, basically what it is to be successful and how to, um, uh, and hopefully the goal is with this is, uh, to show, give people a template on how they can attain success themselves. I think that's the most important thing is teaching people that it doesn't matter at what level you're at. You're always going to go through bad times. You're going to have these negative thoughts. You're going to have these things that, that um, people don't see. And it's just the people that are successful, they do a better job of filtering that out and taking what they need from it and then throwing the rest away. 
So just giving people ideas of how they can do that themselves because each individual does that a different way. Oh, that, that sounds like an awesome project, AJ. And, you know, I, I took the early retirement from MLB after the 2020 season. And part of that was it put me in a position to, I'm still young enough and, and healthy, knock on wood, enough that, to make a contribution. And part of what we're doing with this show and this network is that, you know, we're, we're giving back in, the, in our way, um, you know, to, to try to, you know, do our, our little part because we feel we have a voice that that could be heard to help better the the industry and and people and and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. So like, we commend you for that. And and AJ, basically, you know, because your story, you you have a very good story to tell because you know, um, you know, let's start off. You know, your your path to the big leagues wasn't necessarily the easiest. You were in a first round pick with the big bonus money right off the bat. You you were twenty first rounder back in 2009 from Texas Tech. And, um, you know, you made your debut a couple of years later, 2012, it's in September at age 25. And, you know, you had a fight to get to where you are and, and then develop a great career. And, you know, we, we've talked a lot about when, when you know, you were with the Marlins about that, but kind of share with people that, you you know, you just had a drive about you to, to make it. And, um, you know, that's a good example. Yeah, no, I... Um... It, that that uh, style for me was from the jump. I think like whenever I was younger, I had to always nothing really came easy for me my whole career. Um, I had a battle for starting positions. I had to. Um, it seems like you know when I was younger, uh, people hit puberty before me, so they were a lot stronger, faster, a lot quicker than me. So I had to I had to put in a lot of work to to just maintain a level that I can still play with those guys, and then. Once I kind of caught up with puberty, I had that with the 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 workload that I had put in and and what I was used to doing, which is putting in hard work, and that helped me, you know, pass a lot of those guys. Um, you know, I was often overlooked, and I think there's two ways people handle that, respond to something like that. They either you know say, oh well, you know, I'm worthless, and maybe I don't need to to t- try to pursue anything because so many people are telling me that I'm not good enough. Or you can try to prove them wrong and always went with the latter. Always tried to prove them wrong. You know, I always tried to um, do whatever I could to to prove all those people. I use it as fuel, basically. And, um, you know, even even when I got drafted, um, I went straight to a short season in Greensboro, North and not in Greensboro, in uh, Jamestown, New York. And. In that draft class, there was a first rounder, second rounder, third, fifth, eighth, twelfth, sixteenth, and all the way up to me and beyond me. And I made sure the first rounder at that time was uh, Chad James, left-hander through mid nineties, extreme talent. And I made sure that anytime we would do conditioning, I was right next to him. And not only was I next to him, I was beating him. Anytime he was in the weight room, I was in the weight room, lifting more weight than him. You know, I, I had to show I knew I knew what my the perception of me was. You know, I knew I, w- I wasn't perceived a great talent. It was like, well, we drafted this guy. He's he's got some tools. If he works out great, if he doesn't, we didn't pay him. We didn't invest too much in him. So, you know, we can just it, we, I wasn't a priority. So I did things to try to make myself a priority and try to make it harder for them to see me in a bad light. You know, so I was always trying to work hard and always trying to push myself to to let everybody know that I'm here to work. And then that's great, but I had to, I had to also perform too. And I think just my will to be great 
my will to uh, make it to the big leagues and and focus on that solely. You know, I think that that's a couple of the reasons why I was able to achieve that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really good lesson. And like you said, you you embraced the competition and and sought out the the people that the, the team took ahead of you, obviously, including the first rounder. And you wanted to stack up. And, you know, I, I you have to really admire the competition factor in you because how are you a closer otherwise? Right. You know, if you're not putting yourself in that position to to show, Did, was there anybody in the organization, the Marlins, that saw it really early and, and were like, "Hey, kid, keep it doing," you know, you know, keep it. We have your eye on you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Um, no, not really, man. I was I was kind of under the radar for a long time. Uh, when I got to uh, like high A or double A, the pitching coordinator at a time at, at the time. Um, uh, he came up to me and he noticed, he said, hey, your biggest enemy is you. He said, you try too hard. You're too aggressive and you're letting that aggressive like throw you off. He said, what I want you to focus on is controlled aggression. That's what I want you to do, controlled aggression. And then once I kind of got that concept, I was able to to um, allow myself to to flow through the movements. And then at the end, exp- like allow my um, that aggressiveness to explode and come off the ball because I mean, I was, I never threw that hard. You know, I was, I was, you know, low to mid nineties, but when people faced me, they felt like I was throwing a lot harder, but it was, I think it was, I want to say it was like the, the intent and the will behind it, man. It was like my, my fastball looked a little, it looked harder than 91 at times, you know? Um, and people swung like it was 95, 96 at times I was, it was by them. You know what I mean? So, um, I think, there was not a shadow of a doubt of my ability and of what I was trying to do. And I think those things I was fully focused on, um, on being the best that I could be that I wasn't worried about when I failed. I wasn't worried about all these other, I wasn't worried about the odds stacked against me because I'm like, I don't care about that. I'm going to, I'm going to prove myself every pitch, every game, every workout, every day, you know, I'm going to show up every day and, and give my best because, um, I didn't have the talent to, to relax. I had to, I, you know, I had to work really hard to, to get to where I was going. And, um, and I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Great lessons. I hope our young listeners are hearing this. Dave, jump in. Yeah. AJ, great. I mean, I'm, I know your project is going to go well. You're very articulate and um, clear with your thoughts. And, and I can't wait to see that when it comes to fruition, but I, I want to hit you, I want to get you on two moments that, make all of us a little bit nervous. And I want you to share a little bit uh, about both. One is, I want to find out which one you were more nervous for. One is the day you got called up, that phone call you got, you know, how, how did the conversation go? Where were you? Who'd you call first? What was going on in your mind? And then the parallel to it, when your daughter Luna was born. Um, now I know how that happens. I'm not a doctor, but I get that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just kind of the thoughts that were going in your head, becoming a rookie dad now. To talk about those two moments separately and then connect them for us. So, you know, uh, getting called up, uh, it was after a game that I had just blew the save. We were playing, I forgot where we were. Oh, and, uh, I was in double A. I can't remember the city we were playing in, but I think I threw three innings that day. And I was already a little bit kind of ticked off or a little bit down a bit because um, no, I hadn't got called up yet. And I saw they had called like Kohler up and a couple of other guys. And I'm like, man, I, I feel like I had a really good season 
you know, and, and I kind of made it a goal in my head that year, like I'm going to, to get to the big leagues this year, you know, and I had just lost the game for us, I believe. So I was already like, man, not only did I not get called up, but I lost the game for us. And if we would have won this game, we would have gone to the playoffs. And so I was sitting there and then uh, John Duffy walks up and say, like, hey, Skip wants to see you. And I said, all right. You know, and I'm still, you know, normally in that situation, I think most people would think, oh, you're going to get called up. But for me, I was so like down and like thinking it was not even a possibility at that point. And I walk into the the office and Barquette, Andy Barquette was in there. He said, hey, he said, uh, have a seat. He's like, he said something about like the, the, oh, because we all had flights from where that city was home set up. He said, well, your flight got canceled. So you're, you're going to have to, because you're either going to have to take the bus ride, which is 13. It was like 10 hours to where, to our home base, what to Jacksonville. He said, you can take the bus home or to Jacksonville, which is an eight hour, 10 hour ride or whatever. Or you can hop on a plane to Miami because you're going to be a big leaguer. And when he said it, like he kind of his voice uh, like cracked, like he like he felt emotion, I think, because I mean, everybody saw how hard I was working and like how how just how much I wanted it. You know what I mean? And I think everybody kind of knew that it was a long shot from when I got in there. And it was like, you did it like you did it, kid. You you got called up. So um, after that, uh, you know, we gave me a hug and, you know, I, I you know, let out a few tears and then um, and then I called I called my my dad my and their my mom and dad were together and you know I told them the news and they're like I knew a kid I knew it I knew it was gonna be you know a matter of time and you know so that was that was uh, you know a lifelong dream and then when I compare it to to uh, you know the birth of my daughter I mean I mean it's it's hard to compete with that you know. First of all, my my wife went through a a thirty plus hour labor. So, you know, I was sitting there like just trying to do. It, it's the most helpless thing ever. You know, I'm trying to tell her to breathe and trying to di- di- divert her focus to other things well, and not on the paint. Don't do that, man. I wish I caught you before. We, my wife and I had four. Don't give them advice. That's, <laughs> yeah. That, that's- yeah, man. I was just trying to like give encouragement and thirty hours with unmedicated. By the way, we had a home birth. And it was unmedicated, so she was just like, you know, grinding through it. And then finally, when when Luna came out, it was just like, one, thank God for you know, to to get some relief for my wife. And then it was just like, I was just so in the zone. I compare it to to whenever I was on the mound and I was like, you know, striking out the side. Like it was mindless, thoughtless, just like fully present in that moment. Like that's, this is life, you know, that's literal life, you know? So, um, that, that, that moment was, is the moment of my life so far. I got one, one follow-up, Joe, I'm sorry on that. So no problem. I'm sure you remember the first time you were called out on the big league mound and you, you grabbed that ball from, <laughs> from the coach to throw the rubber. And the first time the doctor handed you your daughter to hold, what was more nerve wracking to hold the baseball or your daughter? Oh man, I, for, with my, my daughter, I was ready. Like if they, if they let me bite the umbilical cord, I would have bit it. <laughs> like oh. I was ready, man. I was, so I wasn't nervous at all. I was like, give me my baby. Let me hold her, you know? Um, so when, when I came in my first uh, appearance, uh, the most nervous I was is when the phone rang and they said my name. I think the third pitch I threw off the backstop wall <laughs> and, and, uh, 
And then once I got in the game, I was running in and I couldn't feel my legs. And I was like, oh, no, like if I can't feel my legs, this is not a good thing. And then once I threw my first warm up pitch, I was like, this is baseball. This is what you've been doing your whole life. This is what you've been, you know, you've been you're bred to do this, basically. You know, this is like second nature to you. So once I got that uh, that first, you know, warm up pitch in, then it was over. And then I ended up striking out the side. So both instances, I killed it. <laughs> that sounds like it. Yeah, I got I got to take over for that because, yeah, I remember that. And I was going to mention it to AJ. Rob Brantley's a catcher. You strike out the first batter you face. He doesn't throw the baseball to the dugout. <laughs> See, right? yeah, yeah. He, that baseball, you struck out the side with the same baseball. Yeah. Right? Well, I, no, no, I think there was the, uh, there was a, a Ricky Weeks fouled one off. So I think it was uh, I used two balls, um, but I, I struck out. I struck out the, uh, who was it? Um, it was Ricky Weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up getting the ball, but I had no, I, I didn't even know what was supposed to happen, man. I was so like in the zone with that. Like I, I didn't know that until someone told me later, um, which is funny. And the funny, I think Go ahead. I could swear, AJ, that was the same ball because I was watching because Rob Brantley was a rookie too. And we, we love Rob, but yeah. you know, his brain kind of goes a little wild. <laughs> you know, he, he's the most, he's not the most focused yeah. and like he didn't throw it to the dugout. And then that ball made it all the way through at the end. And someone, whether it was Martin Prado or someone was like screaming to get the ball after you got the third strike. Man, you know, I have, I have a funny thing with milestones. You know, my first save uh, was in LA. Uh, it, it was, uh, we got the third out on a fly ball to right field. G caught it. And then there's a picture that I posted on Instagram where I'm shaking, uh, uh, was it Mathis hand? I think who was catching. And you, and, I think I'm, so. and I'm yeah. looking back in the outfield. Well, I'm looking back at Giancarlo throw the ball in the stands. So I never got my first save ball. So someone, whoever's <laughs> in LA right now has it just, you know, probably like fed it to their dog and the dog has slobber all over or something like that. So, so yeah, I, I didn't get, you know, my first, my milestones have been a little bit rocky. <laughs> yeah. But those are good stories. Um, you know, let's talk because you had 99 saves, Man, AJ. I know. I know. Do you, when you look at that line, do you look at it like, oh my God? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think about the blown saves. I think about, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the ones where I was feeling really good. I'm like, man, I hopefully, hopefully I pitched today. And then, you know, we ended up scoring five and I, you know, and it's not a save anymore. I think about all those things, you know, but, um, I, it, it's not too big of a deal for me right now. Um, I thought it would mean a lot more, you know, I mean, cause a hundred, even hundred is, is, is great obviously. But, um, you know, if I really sit and think hard about it, I'm like, yeah, 100 would be really cool. But it, for me, if I miss like the record, you know, if I miss like, you know, if I was one away from, from beating Mar Mariano Rivera's, uh, save record that would mean yeah. something but you know there's been a lot of people that get 100 saves and so it wasn't like a a huge deal for me um, because it's not really like a, a a pivotal you know number for as far as like history goes yeah yeah but let's talk about even your path to being a to being a reliever and a closer because if I remember correctly you you kind of had the starter mix yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I was a starter. My you know, whole you were a four pitch pitcher. You were a starter, yeah. and yet you kind of became a very effective closer 
not in the traditional way of now, which, you know, if you're watching, obviously you're, you're throwing a hundred a closer and they just throw nothing but sweepers, yep. you know, the, the, you know, the sweeper and, and the, and the hundred, but you were getting guys out with four pitches. Yeah. And like you say, 90, if you're throwing 93 that day, it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, in college, I was a starter, you know, and as soon as I got drafted, they put me in the bullpen and as a starter, my worst innings were always like first or second inning. Like I was a slow starter, but once I got going, like I was, I was great. So when I got moved into the bullpen in the minor leagues, it was really hard to like, because you got to, as a reliever, you got to be ready right then and there, you know? So I had to figure out like real quick how to, how to, to get warm or how to get that feel a lot sooner. Um, so that like, you know, I can be an effective reliever. So, um, there are certain mental things that I would try to do. I would try to like, uh, when I was in the bullpen, I would, uh, act like I was the one pitching and try to think of the pitches I would be throwing to kind of get myself in the game as far as uh, mentally of, of pitches and what, how I would attack somebody. And, and so I would start doing those things and I'd, I'd, you know, uh, start, uh, I'd get on the mound and I go through my mechanics and, and get a feel for the mound. So those subtle, there was little things that I was trying to do because, you know, um, especially like we said before, you know, I was a, I was a 21st round draft pick, like, you know, uh, they're not going to give you very many opportunities to fail. So I, I learned quickly how to, to use everything that I had. And again, you know, oftentimes in the minor leagues and even in the big leagues too, I was the slowest, uh, thrower in, in the pin. So, um, if you want to make it somewhere and maybe you don't have the tools that the top people have, you better find a way to, to be effective, you know, and, and my way was to be able to throw a lot of different pitches um, and throw any one of them at any time. Even though there are times where I got wild, I was never afraid to throw any pitch at any time. You know, it could be three Oh, and I threw, you know, three sliders in the dirt, like, I might throw another slider three zero. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like it's they're not expecting it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. How? What is that mindset like? To a closer mindset compared to the setup mindset. Um, a closer's mindset you have to forget really quickly, and it's literally one pitch at a time or whatever you're doing at that moment. Um, I think oftentimes when people go to close they think about closing. They think about, Oh, if you know, I need one more out and the game's over, we win the game. When you have that thought, that's already something tearing you away from what you need to do at that moment in that pitch. It's a, it, every pitch is like so intentional. And the times when I was bad, it was, I was focusing on maybe the way I felt or maybe, or why is this ball feeling weird coming off my hand or, or, you know, bases are loaded or what? So there's all kinds of situations that are pulling your attention away from what you really need to be focusing on, which is getting that guy out no matter what, you know what I mean? So I think what happens too is, you know, first pitch strikes are very important. And, you know, if you, a lot, of, and right now, if you, if you have that mindset and you should, when people throw a ball, it's like, oh no, I didn't throw a, a strike. So now the batting averages are, are like this now and this and that when, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters, but like if you, you still have to beat that guy, you could still throw a strike one and then strike two, they hit a homer off of you. You know, it's all, it's all like chance really. So for me, it didn't matter if I was three Oh, 
bases loaded, which there are times when you saw that out of me, bases loaded, and I got out of it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that mindset of like, I don't care. I, I, once I decided you're not going to beat me, then everything focuses like, all right, how do we win this situation? Damn the not first pitch strike or the the bad position you're in. Like when you got to make that decision, like you are not going to beat me. I am not going to lose this game. And then from there, you figure out how to, to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great advice and, and great insights there. Dave, you got something? AJ, you had a great point about, you know, being effective. You had the four pitches out of the bullpen, which is very rare for, for a closer or a back end guy. Today's young pitchers facing, we've got a lot of, a lot of grassroots baseball out there listening. Today's young fish pitchers facing different obstacles than, than you had were heavy emphasis on chasing velocity, heavy emphasis on spin rate. What message would you have to those kids out there that are grappling with, um, you know, the, the way you had success, which was command and, and changing speeds and, and uh, you know, the spin on the ball where they're saying, hey, you got to throw max out all the time. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, there were times where I got into that max out speed, um, and that's oftentimes when I got out of my delivery. The The most important part for me is is being able to repeat your delivery over and over and and going to your mental cues and of what your body's feeling. The, the, the more you repeat that, the easier it is to pull it back whenever you throw a ball up and in or, or out of your, you get out of your delivery. Because as soon as you get out of your delivery, you're like, whoa, that felt different. So then you go back to what you know. And, and then once you get on track, it's like, all right, you're back on track and it's easy to control from there. But I think it's tough because um, velocity is going up. And if I were to come up at this phase, I probably still would be trying to chase velocity because that's what's going to get you a job right now, you know, but with that, you can't, you can't let go of the feel that you have, you know, that's, that's the thing that I pitched with the most is I know in this count, um, you know, this pitch is the best, it gives me the best chance of success, but that pitch doesn't feel good in my hand right now. The pitch that feels good is the slider, you know, and I know this guy's a slider hitter. I know he has a slider, slider bat speed, but today is going to be my bet, my best against his best. You know what I mean? And, and, and sticking with it, I think sometimes we try to make it too much into a math equation. And then again, that's more attention to something else other than, than trying to, to win that pitch, win that at, you know, win that at bat. So um, I would say, you know, try i mean chase the velocity to a certain extent but don't let that be the end all be all because man i know a lot of guys that threw hard real hard and got hit really hard too it's so wild that some of these guys like one of these um archimedes caminero he threw 100 miles an hour he was my catch partner and when he would let it loose i would catch it and it i was like it this does not feel like 100 like when you're throwing, the ball gets there quick, but it doesn't feel heavy. Like, and in the minor leagues, he got hit. He got hit around a lot. You know what I mean? Um, so, velocity isn't the end all be all. A lot of these guys are getting are getting hit. So you have to do something other than velocity. You got to worry about movement and and um, figure out what you can do best and build off of that. And don't try to be uh, what the machine says is the best. Because I I can I can 
probably bet that if you looked at my numbers, if we had all these analytics, I bet my my numbers weren't the top of the top. It was the intent behind it. So you have to believe in your stuff and whatever you have, you know, is, is what you have to go with. And and if you try to do too much, that's going to lead to injury and that's going to lead for uh, that's going to lead to some negative tendencies. That's stuff that's like hard to come back from. Joe, do you mind if I ask one follow-up? Oh, yeah, follow. You made you made mention of mental cues. Pay attention to mental cues on the, on the mound. Uh, sh- share with our audience what you mean by that. So this kind of goes back to the uh, when the uh, pitching coordinator mentioned to me about controlled aggression. So one of the cues that I had to stay out, stay on on guard for, and look out for is my tempo. My tempo would get really quick when I was getting bad, and even like you know uh, from from the catcher throwing it back to me to me getting on the rubber was starting to be quick. So I had to, uh, one of the mental cues I had to, to, uh, to, uh, focus on was slow down, slow down, you know, and catch the rhythm. For me, it was about the nice little rhythm. It was like doing right now I'm doing like the con- conductor to, to the band, you know, like the up and downs, like, um, having that nice little rhythm. So without another uh, cue I would focus on is, when my foot, when my knee would come up and I would go down towards the plate, my landing foot, I would try to feel that my landing foot hit the ground first before I took off. And that's whenever I would allow my aggressiveness to come out through the release point. Um, so you have to pay attention to when you do bad. I think sometimes when people do bad, uh, especially when you're young, they go to somewhere else in their mind. They maybe think, oh, I'm not good enough for this, or I knew I was going to do bad or whatever. When you, when you sit down and focus, like, what was I feeling? Why did I do bad? Why did, and nowadays, like there's so many uh, um, analytics and so much video out there that you can actually see what you were doing wrong. So once you can figure out what your negative tendencies are, then you can know to look out for them. And then uh, have correct practice for correctives on them, you know, do drills, that help you stay back on your backside just a little bit longer or do drills to where you, you, you make sure that you're not pulling off out of your delivery with your front side too soon. Or, you know, there's certain, everyone has different things that they have to work on. So it's about pitching enough or playing enough to figure out what those are so that you can then nip them in the bud as soon as you start to feel those. And that's what I was talking about before. It's like, when you're on track and then you get out of your delivery, like, whoa, that felt different. And it soon becomes that felt different because I maybe pushed off on my backside too soon, or I leaked with my front side. You get good. That's what the professionals do. That's when when you get to the big leagues, you start to know, oh, I did this instead of being like, I don't know what I did, but that didn't feel good. You know what I mean? So you have to be able to, uh, every time I picked up a ball, I, I was working on my, my, my mechanics, even when I was playing catch. So everything you do, if you're a pitcher, when you pick up a baseball, you throw it like you're throwing on the mound, so to speak, or at least like your, your mechanics wise, like you're, you're following that rhythm so that when you do get into those ruts and maybe you throw a ball up and in, you know why you threw the ball up and in, you know, you have something to correct that because it's the worst feeling when you don't know what you're doing and you're in the middle of the game, you're like, I don't know why I'm bad right now. And that's hard to come back from as opposed to uh, knowing yourself and your negative tendencies and, and what you do well. 
Great answer. Yeah. Yeah, this is some some really good stuff. And we appreciate AJ Ramos for for you know uh, providing this insight. I'll tell you a year that things went very well for AJ Ramos was 2016 when he was an all-star with you get 40 saves that year for the Marlins, one of four Marlins to to be in that 16 all-star game. And the guy who wasn't in the all-star game but was part of home run derby was Giancarlo Stanton, AJ's good friend, and and he set a record that time and that was an amazing time aj kind of let's you know kind of relive that and kind of take people back to the 16 season and and when you got called to your to you know when you found out you were an all-star and, and what that whole experience was like for you man it was a it was an amazing experience um i honestly thought i should have been an all-star in 15 i think i had better numbers the first half of that year as far as like era and stuff and so i was a little bit ticked off that i wasn't um an all-star that year. So I said, next year, I'm going to do all I can to be an all-star. And um, it was one of those things where you set out to do a goal, then you accomplish it. And you're like, wow, I, I, I really, really did it, you know? And um, not only that part, but I mean, I watched every all-star game when I was young. And even when I was, you know, well, you know, an adult as well, I just, the, <laughs> it's such a cool thing to see what you see on TV and actually be a part of it, especially when they did the flyovers and I'm getting chills right now. Just thinking about it, just how like uh, proud I was and uh, how good that felt to know that like my family was there and they were watching and like, and they had a huge part obviously in, in my success. And I just felt like everyone that has ever helped me was there with me in that all-star game. And um, it was so, it was really, really cool. It was madness though, as far as like, there's, there is no routine there. There is no structure. It's like interviews and it's uh, signing this and it's going here, it's doing that. I'm like, how do people focus on playing these things? Because there's so much going on. Like I had a hard time finding a partner to, to, to warm up, warm up with before the game, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, so it was so fun. It was so busy. It went by so quick, but man, um, it was it was a an amazing time. Yeah, now back then MLB.com would since the 2017 All-Star game was Miami. What they did then, the beat writer for the team for the city that was getting into the following year would get that All-Star game. Right. Which worked out perfectly for me because 16 was in San Diego and the venue was one of the best events I've ever covered. And it was an honored to be there seeing you. And obviously huge moment in that game was when Jose Fernandez faced Big Poppy in that epic, you know, you know, showdown where Big Poppy walked. What do you remember of that? And and obviously Jose meant everything to everyone that knew him. Man, it, it, he yeah. I, I stuck around him. I mean I was older I was older than him. I think uh you know I had one more year on him as far as uh, uh being in the big leagues, but I just stuck by him because everybody knew him. You know what I mean? And he was everybody's friend. So um, just getting to be around him and, and just the life that he lived, man, as far as like the life that he had inside him and the happiness that he had inside him and the joy that he brought a lot of people uh, in the locker room and the stands, you know, like it was it was cool. And I think they had like a him and him and Poppy had a um, had a thing where he's like, you got to throw me a fast. I'll, he goes, I'll throw you a fastball down the middle first pitch. And he did throw him a fastball, but. But Ortiz thought it was a it was a it was a uh, changeup because it was only like eighty four. But 
but Jose just really like threw him a BP fastball. Um, and then after that, you know, he turned it on. I think he, again, it's like we were talking about earlier. He got out of his delivery a few times and tried to throw a little bit too hard and, and ended up walking him. But, uh, that was a really cool moment. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was just Jose. That's what I say. It's, it's exactly what Jose was. Well, it was a showmanship moment. And that for our, a refresher for our, our audience, that was David Ortiz's last at-bat in his last All-Star game in his last year. And Jose Fernandez was big, – Big Poppy was Jose's favorite player growing up. And, and they faced each other, and it was, it was an event. It's probably on YouTube. I encourage anyone that wants to see that moment to go there. Uh, but the day before that, that game, AJ, we saw – Big G, Giancarlo Stanton just put on an absolute home run derby show, winning the home run derby. And we know how close you are to, to Giancarlo. Take us through that day for you. And what? how did you see that? And how did you, you know him so well? How did you see him, you know, being back in California and doing what he did that that night? I mean, that was cool. I mean, he he did. I mean, that's exactly what he does in BP, you know, like. His, his yeah. BP was, is unreal. You know what I mean? Like whenever he felt like he wanted to hit some balls out of the ballpark, he would. So um, I knew that once he got in the groove that, uh, you know, it was going to be hard to beat him. And he was luckily able to get in that groove and just, again, being there, you know, sitting on the sidelines. Like I was, I was doing what I watched every year in the all-stars, you know, I was sitting there like, wow, I'm here. I'm here. Um, you know, there's cameras here. I'm, I'm just like, just taking it in like wow I can't believe like it was like it was like a dream you know like had to pinch myself a few times like man I'm really here you know so it was a really cool thing I think we were one of the first ones to actually stop G and like give him water and like do the whole thing I think after that everyone started to like you know uh, uh do that yeah they give him the yeah the, the Gatorade yeah or the, so it was me Jose you know, all that and, other stuff yeah yeah we we kind of we were one of the first ones to do that um I'm sure it, it was done earlier games, but now it's like done every every uh, home run derby. But but yeah, it was it was cool to be able to experience that and see one of my best friends, you know, just tear it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a remarkable time, and and obviously we, we could touch on a little bit of the passing of Jose and and how that season ended. And uh, you know, you know, I we think of him, you know, every now and then. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Jose that that influences take us through what you obviously you guys lost a teammate a friend a brother and what do you think that did uh obviously for jose's family and and, and even the, the future of the marlins because the, the next year or two it was it was gone all the players were, were moved out yeah it was uh it it changed everything i think for a lot of people um you know especially you know jose's family obviously and for the Marlins, uh, you know, at that point, we were one or two starting pitchers away from from being serious contenders. Um, you know, we, our lineup was one of the best. Our outfield was one of the best. You know, um, we had great role players. Our bullpen was doing well. You know, we just needed a couple of starters to kind of help Jose out. And, you know, um, and when he passed, it, it kind of, you know, shut all that down. Um, you know, I, it was it was such an odd odd feeling, you know, um, I was woken up that day by my agent and, uh, it was, uh, I forgot, it was maybe like eight in the morning and I, you know, received a call and I was like, what is he doing calling me? It was weird. Like for my agent, cause he knew that I was going to be asleep at that time, you know, and answered the phone and he was like, Hey, is it true? And 
I said, what? What are you talking about? He said, oh, God, uh, you don't know. <laughs> and I was like, no, what? What are you talking about, man? He said, Jose. I said, what happened to him? I, and I had this feeling like, I don't know. I just kind of maybe felt something, you know, and he was like, Jose passed away. And I was like, shut up, man. He's like, uh, uh, I'm reading um, articles right now. And I, yeah, man, I think it's, I think it's confirmed. And I said, let me call you back. And uh, at the time I was living with, with Giancarlo and I went upstairs to, to his room and I woke him up and I was like, Hey, um, have you heard anything? Or like, you know, he was like, what are you talking about? I said, I think Jose just, I think Jose died last night. And he was like, damn, I, like, you know, he kind of, we kind of went through the whole thing. We started calling people and sure enough, you know, we got a text probably an hour later saying everybody come to the locker room, you know, at your earliest convenience. And it was just such a odd feeling and nobody knew, nobody knew what to do, man. It was like nothing like this had ever happened. And, um, you know, David Sampson actually took, took the lead and, it was amazing at being able to, you know, you know, field our yeah. questions. And he was, he was a complete leader at that time. And that really made me have so much respect for him um, because it was a time that nobody knew what to do. And he quarterbacked the whole thing. And, you know, we had to play the next day after that. And uh, no, nobody, nobody wanted to play, you know, like season was over, man. I mean, we just was like, we just, so it was a hard time to go through. And, uh, you know, um, it, again, he was a guy that when he was, when he was around, you knew he was around. If you're on, on the team, he was your best friend. He always brought a smile and the way he played the game. I admired so much because his talent, he looked like he enjoyed the game so much, man. And that's something that, that I wanted to take for him, from him, but I didn't have the talent like him. So I had to continue to, to work really hard to, to maintain my game. But, you know, I always admired that about him. And he lived, he lived the way, you know, he lived every moment to the fullest, it seemed like. And uh, it was a blessing to, to be his teammate. You know, very well said. And yeah, just a ton of uh, stuff goes through my head thinking about that day as well. And, and that, that time and, and you touched on something. I, I of all the years I, I covered the big leagues and still do. Um, I say Miguel Cabrera and Jose Fernandez probably loved playing baseball more than any two players I covered as a beat writer. Yeah. You know, as, as as on my team, both of those guys just loved to play. And and I, you know, obviously Miguel was there before before you got to Miami AJ, but he was one of those guys at 20 years old. If there was a game at you know 11 in the morning, he'd be playing. Like he, you know, didn't, never wanted the day off, and just loved to be on the field. Could be up or down, 10 runs, and and just loved to be there. And you see it with with Miguel and and Jose was just another level, another level, and very sad. They, and, they uh, played the they uh, played the need, game like like you do in your backyard. You know, they play it like it is in the business. You know, like that was part of what like kind of threw me off a little bit was, was the, the business side of it. Sometimes the way, you know, they had to treat certain people for the betterment of the, the, the business, you know, and that was something that threw me off and it kind of took a little bit of joy out of the game for me, but 
Jose played it like I wish I could have. Just like you're outside in the backyard, just hanging out, having the time of your life, man. And it was amazing to watch. Yeah, he he was funny because, you know, we also in 16 lost Juan Rodriguez, our our good friend, the the Mm, beat writer for the Sun Sentinel. He died of of brain cancer before that season. And, And Juan, in his last few years, and we all know, like, Jose loved bike riding. Yeah. Remember, he, he got yeah. that, that bike. And that kind of motivated – it was funny. I got a bike after that because I saw Jose was doing it. I said, hey, you know, I need to get in better shape. So I got the bike. And I was actually – I went out, and I live in, in Cooper City and in, 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 um, in Broward County. And I went to Weston, and I was out there, and I bumped into Juan Rodriguez, and he was riding, and he said – Oh, because of Jose, <laughs> he got a bike, and he was already was diagnosed with brain cancer, yeah. and was and was riding because of Jose. And then I'd often talk to him in the in the, in the clubhouse, and I'd say, "Hey, Jose, I I rode ten miles before I came here." He goes, 10, you should have done 20. Yeah. And I'm like, "USO," I was like, "USOB," but the next time I'd go do twenty, and I come back, and I tell you know what I mean? Yeah. He just had a way of saying it. I'm like, dude, you're a 20 year old, you know, MLB player. I'm a 50 something year old old man yep. riding a bike, you know. So, but it was it was all good nature, yeah. And uh, and we all we all loved them. Um, Dave, we got to end on a little brighter note. Give give a question to kind of yeah. get this upbeat now. Oh, it was great, great info with it. You mentioned yeah. your roommate was Giancarlo Stan here. Give us a Giancarlo Stan story that maybe the audience doesn't know or the. The popular. And again, we got kids in the audience, so it's yeah, yeah. judicious. <laughs> but uh, you could you could take it to the edge. Uh, we uh, it was funny. Like it, it seemed like anything uh, electronic. Yeah, he <laughs> seemed like I'd always make fun of him because you know he would uh, somehow mess up something on the TV. And I'm like, dang, you broke the TV, and then the fridge was acting up. And some of the times it wasn't his fault, but it would just happen to break whenever he was using it. So I always make fun of him that we can't have anything nice around him because he's going to break it. And then, you know, he's a big guy, but he's smart. He's very smart. And But I always say, man, you you big brute, you know, he's over there smashing things together, breaking it because he doesn't know his own strength. You know, I always give him give him crap about that stuff. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you have any electronics around him, don't let him use it. <laughs> <laughs> he would tell us stories that. He would mix cereals. Now I, I know his diet got a lot, probably a lot cleaner. But he might mix, you know, uh, Captain Crunch with uh, cocoa puffs or something. Yeah, like that. He, he would do he would do that stuff, and I can imagine a bowl that he would eat. He, 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 I don't know if this is like even before my time, whatever. But my dad used to watch uh, uh, what is it called, the Beverly Hillbillies, and they call it the yeah. Jethro. Jethro. The Jethro bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would eat a bowl of cereal. It'd be like eating the. the yeah, <laughs> he'd eat, he and he'd use a spoon that uh, like one of those uh, things you use soup, like a wooden, wooden spoon. spoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's a big dude, man. He's a big dude. Yeah, I remember you know him. I was, every now and then I think of some of his home runs, especially early in his career. I remember being in Philly one time, and and he seemed to like lo- lose track of the count. Like it was he like swung and missed, and it was strike two, but he thought it was strike three, mm-hmm. and he like was taking a step towards back towards the dugout and the umpire had to remind him that, Hey, you got, you know, the count was wrong. You know, you, you got, you know, there's only two strikes and literally the next pitch, he almost hits the scoreboard yeah. with a home run. It was just like that, that moment where I, obviously there was probably a borderline pitch earlier in the count. He thought went against him and just the way he just recovered, like you see this dejected look and then literally the next pitch, 
almost hit the scoreboard in left field. Well, yeah, it's like, yo, cool, I got second life. I got a second life, you know what I mean? So some of his home runs, like I know our bullpen at the time was in right field, and there was one time where he hit one opposite field. He hit one, and uh, the first baseman jumped. He jumped like he had a shot because it was that low. It stayed, I don't know, 10, 15 feet off the ground the whole way. And I thought it was going to hit the fence, and nope, it it crushed the the, the uh, LED board right behind the score or right behind the bullpen. And it's just amazing his power, man. It's uh, um, it's so fun to watch and to have been around it for so long and to be right there with it. Again, man, I've had I've had a blessed career. I've played with him, played with Ichiro. I've had Barry Bonds as the coach. Uh, got to play with Jose Fernandez. I mean, I've I've had I was blessed with the time I played with and. Even the not so great things, you know, I was Ozzy Guillen, and then I was with uh, Mike Redman, who got fired in the middle of the season, and we had an interim head coach, and then it was a GM, and then Dave that was Jennings. a GM that never <laughs> that never managed yeah. before, and then all of a sudden he saw the other side of the coin and was like for the players, like he tried his he tried his hardest, he just didn't have the knowledge, you know what I mean? And by the end of the his little season. You know, he was full, fully a player's manager. You know what I mean. So, um, I've we, I've had a pretty uh, um, entertaining uh, career in baseball. So, yeah, and we look forward to what's next because that we're gonna keep an eye on the locker room. Yeah, AJ yeah. Ramos. Yeah, yeah, AJ. One more time with that, so people, um, you know, when's that going and how can they follow that? Yeah, so we're in the process of editing a, a couple of episodes right now. Uh, we're looking at maybe later this summer to be, to have it out. Um, again, you know, and once we get it rolling, uh, I've had a lot of athletes, uh, have soft yeses to it and they just don't know, you know, they haven't seen the product. So once this, these episodes are out, uh, I think a lot more people will jump on because it's literally just a conversation between kind of like we're having now. And then we, instead of just talking about like their routines, we actually go through it. You know, and then we go through the mental part of it. We bring up specific times in their career um, that that maybe that they failed or they succeeded or whatever it was. You know, we, we break those down and how those affected them mentally and how they got over those negative experiences and how they maintain those positive experiences to keep continue to grow. You know, so, um, you know, I'm excited about it. And, uh, you know, it'll be out soon. It'll be on YouTube. It'll be on all, all the, you know, streaming or the uh, like YouTube, Instagram, all, all those things, you know, and then from there uh, we'll see where, what happens with it. Well, when that gets close to happen, uh, happening, we'll have you back on and, we, and we'll talk about it. So, Perfect. Um, Dave, Dave, any last things for AJ and any last announcements before we get out of here? Yeah, no, great, great interview, AJ. Just thanking our subscribers again, 18,300. Keep doing what you're doing and supporting us. We can keep giving you the great content like we do every week. We're, trying to be everything to everybody in those 72 countries, grassroots to MLB front office. And I think like our mission says, Joe, I think we did a great job building better baseball IQ today with AJ. And I know I got smarter. Yeah. And that that's the purpose. And again, you know, you know, we appreciate the listeners um, and, and special thanks again to AJ Ramos. Thanks again, buddy, for, for carving out a little bit of time with us tonight. And, and for Dave, uh, you know, we're going to be back next week. I'm going to be going on vacation in two weeks. So um, we'll try to line up a really good guest next week and, and then I'll be gone for a little bit, but uh, we'll be back. The The network will keep moving forward with all the other great contents and show and content and shows we have. But for now, I'm Joe Forsaro, man on second, and we are out of here.
Doing what you love has a high price to pay. Some put on a suit, but he ran the other way. His drums drown out the up.